Tobler. There's Leah. We are the Tobler Show. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate that. You know, uh, once in a while you see someone stand on principle, even though they take a lot of heat. We all do that, right? Us conservatives these days, and especially if you're a Christian conservative, especially if you're a white male over 50 Christian conservative, man, you're taking heat like you can't believe, right? Talk about oppression. Well, there are people fighting back against the woke culture. And uh, the other night in uh, I'm I now am an unofficial member of a fan club of a hockey player for the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, take a listen to this. This is about Flyers Ivan Profarov. Listen, everybody. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. Any, like I said, the all I'm going to comment up on that. Um, if you have any hockey questions, I would like, I would answer those. Just, uh, you just kind of fly with religion. Russian Orthodox. So with the game tonight, Ivan, um, obviously Kevin has got a hat trick and uh, Erasmus's first goal of the season. Can you walk us through the emotion that the team is feeling in that? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was Flyers. Uh, now we might pronounce it Ivan Provorov, but uh, but since I took a little Russian, you know that uh, Leah, I, I did. think in his country it would be Ivan uh, Ivan Provorov, um, and uh, you know there's been some controversy generated around this. Uh, it's funny the uh, the media defended uh, people taking a knee right uh, in the NFL and speaking out for what they believed. Uh, however, a lot of the sports newscasters have said, why don't you go find another job if you're not going to wear your gay pride uh, warm-up suit? Apparently, it was gay pride evening uh, the other night at uh, the Flyers. Uh, what is it? It used to be the Spectrum. Uh, I don't know what they call it now, but at their rink. And um, he was labeled homophobic. One NHL analyst advised him to go back to Russia, get involved in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. But ahead of the team's game against the Chicago Blackhawks the other night, uh, the, his coach addressed the issue. He said, no, I had no concerns about whether the controversy would affect the locker room. And th- he was talking about what had happened on Tuesday evening when um, – Profarov approached him about not wearing a rainbow uh, warm-up uh, 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 jersey. And uh, he said, you know, if a player sits for the anthem, what would you do? The coach said they would sit the rest of the game. He said he was wrong then. He had learned that, uh, you know, that's not what you do anymore. Although I think I would still defend the right of the Flyers to dismiss Profarov if they wanted to. I think they would... They'd pay a terrible political price, but certainly I would I would defend their right because they're writing his check, just as I would have defended their right to uh, to fire Kaepernick, you know. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. Three one four nine one two one oh one nine. The number to weigh in on this. Um, 
I am glad the guy stuck by to, to his principles and to his religion. He was not going to celebrate uh, the, the gay pride night that night. And good for him. Um, it, of course, uh, the NHL didn't appear ready to, to fine or ban anyone. Uh, there have been calls for punishment. Um, the league said, quote, hockey is for everyone is the umbrella initiative under which the league encourages clubs to celebrate the diversity that exists in their respective markets and to work to achieve more welcoming and inclusive environments for all fans. They go on. Clubs decide whom to celebrate, when and how. With league counsel and support, players are free to decide which initiatives to support, and we continue to encourage their voices and perspectives on social and cultural issues. Well, I guess they are endorsing his right to do that and speak out against um, uh, the difference between tolerating, uh, getting along with, including gay, transgenders, whatever in our society, which I do. You probably do, too. It's not the issue. It goes. uh, It's a bridge too far, though, when we are mandated and conscripted to celebrate that lifestyle which in this case of Ivan Profarov does not um, does not square with his uh, his religion his principles. Leah, what are your thoughts about this? I mean, you're you're in the you you compete in the CrossFit and you're in an athletic environment. Mm-hmm. What would happen if someone uh, said, uh, "Hey, uh, at the CrossFit uh, tournament or the weightlifting tournament you have upcoming, everyone's going to wear gay pride uh, uh, uniforms." What would say what would you say? Um, well, I would not. I mean, I don't care, like, what's popular. I mean, first of all, they wouldn't do that in CrossFit or weightlifting or whatever. Um, but if they did, I would not partake in it. Um, and most mm-hmm. people know me well enough to know that I'm not going to do that. So they probably wouldn't question it, you know, mm-hmm. so. But if you were to, let's say you, do, you were to do this at the at, at some, like, collegiate competition or, 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 you know, let's say you made it to the Olympics and there was some kind of a, uh, you know, a requisite that if you're going to be on the team, you have to participate in some kind of thing. Would you, you know, at some point, would principles prevail or not? Because I think we all, uh, people increasingly in the workplace are having to answer that question. Are you going to participate in DEI programs where you have to go to your minority uh, co-worker and apologize and genuflect because of all of the systemic racism that you you know that that you've been involved in even though you haven't been but just by virtue of the color of your skin you know at what point do you say I got a cave because I need a job or I want to compete um I when it comes to the you competing, wouldn't cave. no I would not cave <laughs> yeah, you're principled. Yeah. That's what we love about Leah. She's principled. I know you. Yeah. And uh, but but I think as Christians and and yes, as Muslims and as Jews, uh, you know, uh, anyone of the Abrahamic tradition are really called on to make sacrifices for their beliefs. Now, of course, radical Muslims take it too far and they, you know, their sacrifice is flying, you know, a kamikaze mission, right? Flying a plane into a building. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm not talking about offensive uh, martyrdom, if you will. But, you know, the early Christians were crucified. They were, uh, well, John the Baptist. I mean, you know, uh, 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 Paul, the apostle Paul lost his life due to his profession of faith. And 
Stephen was stoned. I mean, on and on and on. These days, they don't stone Christians, but you can certainly pay a dear price. And if you're not Christian, but you still have some other principle you believe by, that you know, there come those moments of uh, truth where you have to decide, are you going to stand by your principles or not? Um, I've talked before how in the medical realm, I may have to do that someday. I mean, if they, if they tie licensure to having to do an abortion, I mean, that's not going to happen in Missouri under the current political environment, certainly. But if for one reason or another, I needed to move to another state for maybe my wife's job or interest or whatever, um, and that became a reality there, what would I do? I think I would say, sorry, you can have my license. Here it is. Not going to do it. I, saw, <laughs> I sounded like George, old George Bush, didn't I? Not going to happen. <laughs> Not going to do it. <laughs> oh, Hey, uh, we haven't talked much, though, uh, Leah, about, um, about the uh, debt crisis limit. So I think we ought to a bit. Uh, Jen Saki the other day, she's now an MSNBC analyst. I understand she's going to have her own show on Peacock. I can't wait. That's another for reason for me not to sign up to stream Peacock. <laughs> I, I will not be doing that. Um, here's what she said the other day on an interview show talking about uh, the debt limit and the strategy of the White House. McCarthy has said he wants to negotiate. That's not a good idea because that creates uncertainty. But what's important here is to, to know and what the White House is really going to keep pushing for publicly, I would expect. Uh, and if you're sitting in a White House right now, you're strategically trying to figure out how to do this to put the pressure on Republicans is what exactly they want to cut. Because when people hear discretionary spending, most people don't know exactly what that means. What that means is either cutting the military budget, which Republicans do do not want to do and most in his caucus will not want to carve out or it means cutting domestic programs do they want to cut veterans benefits do they want to cut housing do they want to cut health care or the biggies and this is really the only way to do the cuts that they they want to cut or the size of them is social security medicare or medicaid those entitlement programs so what the white house is going to do is they're going to keep putting public pressure on they're not going to negotiate and they're going to try to smoke out exactly what kevin mccarthy and the republicans are proposing to cut Okay, so you uh, you heard it from Jen Psaki, who have certainly is in contact with the Biden administration and uh, with KJP and with what's going on in the Oval Office, in the discussion, in the cabinet meetings. You know what's going on. They are deciding to and they have taken the clear stance that they are not going to negotiate. And all Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are asking for, at least based on the reporting thus far, is to put a, a freeze on spending, no new spending. And, and, you know, she talked about cuts. Now, you remember that the definition of cut in Washington lingo, Washingtonese, is a decrease in the proposed increase for next year's budget. <laughs> they, they, yeah, I told you, these people there, they, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting my son up in Arlington uh, and uh, son and daughter-in-law, and we're still, I still got the stench of swamp gas on me. I'm, I'm trying to eliminate it, but my wife, she says, go to your go to your room. You smell like swamp gas, Joe. Uh, but she somehow she was able to cleanse herself of it. But I guess I was too political in my discussions uh, when I was up there. But um, McCarthy is going to be in a tough spot. Let's be honest about it. He's got a slim majority. Part of the deal he made to to get enough votes to squeak into the into the the speaker's seat. 
was to really use the leverage of that, the, the very limited leverage, and try to overplay what is a fairly weak hand. And, but you heard what Jen Psaki says, and I'm thankful she's not still in the spokesperson for the president position because she she's much craftier than KJP. KJP is embarrassing as a spokesperson. Uh, but I can tell you that Saki said it right, and I wish that the Republicans and McCarthy would take a, a, a page out of the playbook that she just outlined that, from the White House playbook. That is, communicate to the public what your stance is. Do it every day, every minute, in the same way, by many different speakers, so that there's a consensus position that is presented. She has already started to present what will be a false narrative, but it will be an effective one. It worked. Remember the granny over the cliff narrative? Remember those visions of Paul Ryan, an actor in Paul Ryan garb, pushing a woman over the cliff in a wheelchair? That is not what they're talking about. They're talking about, why don't we, why don't we trim? Of course, this is going to be tough in his own conference, but why don't we talk about trimming a little bit of the defense budget? There's a lot of waste there. Can we, can we spend $30 billion on the next trench towards, uh, towards Ukraine rather than $50 billion? <laughs> Can we, I, I mean, I know it's going to be, uh, it's going to really result in a lot of shrimp obesity and cardiovascular disease for shrimp, but can we stop funding shrimp on treadmill research? You know, can we stop funding uh, research on transgender studies and, you know, African-American lesbianism uh, in, in Uganda? I mean, you know, wh where, where is it going to end? I think there's ways that they can certainly manage that. At any rate, we're going to step aside and then we come back. I talked with May Mailman yesterday, and I'd want you to hear that because we talked about Bidengate, her thoughts on that. She's a former legal advisor to President Trump, and um, we'll play that uh, when we come back here on The Tober Show. Stay there. Quite frankly, bugs me is that we have a serious problem here. We're talking about, we're talking about what's going on, and the American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that. But having said that, what's your question? Do you have any regrets, sir, that you did not reveal the existence of the documents back in November before the midterms? Hang on. Okay. Look, as we found. Uh, found a handful of documents were failed uh, or filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives of the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Thank you. Well, that was President Biden saying there's nothing there there. Some people have said it's apples to oranges. He fully complied. Let's see what May Mailman says, senior fellow at Independent Women's Law Center and a former legal advisor to President Trump on issues from immigration, social issues and health care. How you doing, May? It's been a couple of weeks. Everything going well? I know. Yeah, everything's uh, going great. And now we've got the shoe on the other foot with President <laughs> Biden. So is this really apples to oranges or is is it oranges to tangerines close enough for jazz that there's really no difference, even though they're trying to make one with a distinction? Oh, right. So if you're the liberal media, sure, you can find 
differences. Uh, some documents were in Delaware versus some were in Florida. I mean, you can always find differences, <laughs> but I think that in all relevant respects, there's you know great similarities here, which are that at the end of an administration, you took documents with you uh, that were marked classified. I think the biggest difference um, is what were you thinking? And that, that has to do with the law. So the law doesn't punish accidental, oops, I, I had this with me and I didn't mean to. The law punishes purposeful, you knew the document was classified, you knew you had it with you, you knew it was in the wrong place. Um, and for Trump, I think that's a little bit hard because he, even if he didn't declassify the document, he in his mind thought he did. And so that really doesn't show a purposeful uh, use of classified information that's wrong versus Biden doesn't have that declassification authority. So if he knew that he had these documents and he knew that they were at his house, that's, you know, that does not have the right mindset. So I think that is, for me, the really relevant difference. Yeah. So we're uh, we're always truth seekers, as I know you are, and all my good friends at IWF. Um, and, I, and I wonder, because there was quite a stir when it was reported that with the Mar-a-Lago find, that there were a lot of personal documents and personal effects, uh, you know, mixed in with those documents. Could that be likened, I'm just playing devil's advocate, could that be likened to uh, being in a in a Corvette, you know, next to the Corvette, a box of, what, five or ten documents next to a Corvette, and after all, may it was locked, maybe even a master lock with a key, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a huge difference between a uh, presidential office and residence versus a vice former vice presidential office and residence. So uh, presidents get secret service for the rest of their life, um, and presidential offices are, you know, have even money from the federal government going to security and stuff like that. So you have a much more secure situation in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it's Fort Knox. Like, it's, I, I still think that, any, particularly the former military, are very careful with classified documents, and I think a lot of former military do have a problem with how documents are stored at Mar-a-Lago. So, sure, but at least there you do have uh, Secret Service, and um, it is generally a secure facility. Versus, vice presidents only get Secret Service for six months. So, for the vast majority of time that uh, Joe Biden had these documents. They, they were not secure. Okay, so, you know, they weren't secure. And, and worse, it's reported that at least uh, there were some Ukrainian documents there, something that had to do with Ukraine. And, of course, since Hunter's Burisma connections there, it, again, speculation, but you have to wonder. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Hunter was living there, too. Um, so, you know, there's just enough, there's enough, I think, smoke on the horizon that you wonder if there's not really a significant fire below that smoke or is it just a little smoldering grass fire? I don't know. Here's the question, though. 
why in the world after I mean, there's several questions. Why was it held ahead of the public or from the public, you know, ahead of the midterm election? And B, was it unusual once the DOJ to knew, knew about it to allow his lawyers to go ahead and do their own search and continue searching? Or was it just a manpower thing where they said, hey, the minute you see a folder that says classified, you call us? I mean, wh- how do you interpret that? Yeah, so I think that if the president... Trump Mar-a-Lago raid had not happened, I would actually not be all that concerned about, hey, uh, these personal lawyers found these documents. Here you go. We're letting you know the personal lawyers are going to do another search. Maybe there's some leeway there. But the Department of Justice had just raided (laughs) the president's personal residence and gone through closets and gotten a search warrant. This whole situation that if there is one system of justice, then you know that you have to be more hands on with the president. You just you absolutely have to. So for me, it's not so much the problem of whether or not you know we're going to try and do this amicably first because i think with president trump also they sort of knew that he had documents at his house because he really wasn't lying about it they saw trucks and trucks of documents go to mar-a-lago so that they knew that they were there and they didn't raid for a couple of years so there there is a process of hey can we have these back and I think that's okay. But once you're in the hands-on process, you have to be hands-on with both. Yeah, I I just um, I I just think that it's sloppy handling at minimum, and this whole obfuscation and sort of I it's funny. I haven't heard any of the media use the word obstruction, and they were they were early on to use that with Donald Trump and the Mar-a-Lago thing, right? It's all about, well, he was obstructing, he was obstructing. Well, I mean, what do you call it when you don't make it public for 68 days, whatever it was? You know, you knew it before the election. And it's funny how the media is handling this different, although I think they now are to the point where they just can't ignore it. Um, Do you have a sense of whether, from what you've seen from the typically Biden-supportive media, whether they're giving it fair treatment or are they still giving it a wink and a nod? Oh, it's certainly a wink and a nod. So um, the there's a blog from Harvard professors that I like to read. It's called Lawfare. It's sort of national security-ish. And during the Trump uh, debacle, every single article was Espionage Act, Espionage Act, obstruction, you know, and so on. I went to go look to see, you know, how does the espionage apply to Biden? What are people saying? You couldn't find it. I, I, if you search espionage act and Biden, it, it doesn't appear on the website. So people are treating these very, very differently. And you're right. People immediately went to obstruction because they knew uh, it's kind of going to be maybe a little bit difficult to get President Trump on. You know, you took some some documents with you that you thought were yours. But aha! once we asked for them back, now you're <laughs> obstructing. Well, that's kind of funny because here it seems like DOJ or the archivist never asked for them back. Um, 
and maybe maybe Trump just made it more obvious. He he had, as I said, trucks of documents going with him and, and gave the archivist nothing as he left. And so it made sense for the archivist to ask. But at the same time, was just no one paying attention to Biden? Did no one care? Uh, and I think this is the general problem with the way people treat Biden is, and I think President Trump, same way, his nickname was Sleepy Joe. The, the idea that he's this sort of doofus walking around rather than an actual corrupt sort of mean person who has an agenda and this idea in our mind that he's sleepy joe has let him get away with so much when really uh there's a lot of corruption in the biden family that that people just Somehow it doesn't stick. Yeah. So you, I'm hearing that you align with what I've heard Molly Hemingway see, say, which is she just doesn't expect the media to really take this any further. The whole connection between Hunter and uh, the big man, and on and on, which is this is a perfect opening for them to do that and have polit- and have uh, what would you call it reputational cover within their own ranks, you know. And it's uh, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. Uh, we're talking with May Mailman, uh, senior fellow at Independent Women's forum iwf.org and and may i i, I did want to ask you a bit about um the whole the, the, what happened here the other day uh in missouri and your thoughts on this um here just yesterday we had in columbia missouri at the columbia public schools something uh, broke where there was a drag queen event at a diversity event and and children from the middle school were here and i just wonder you know i know that iwf has been pretty active on this front it seems as though this whole woke agenda has just has just infiltrated all aspects of our culture and i'm wondering if you're beginning you know we we heard the football player uh, the hockey player the other day for philadelphia flyers other more prominent and and generally sort of neutral people speaking out and saying hey enough is enough you know i i'm gonna you know speak my conviction and parents now are getting more active are you seeing um just as you overview the whole landscape of the american body politic a bit of a pushback against the onslaught of wokeism you know i i would hope that i would see that and yet, um, I'm just not sure I do. Like my neighbors that all have their Pride Progress flag up a week ago, they still have it up today. You know, mm-hmm. nobody, mm-hmm. nobody's really backing down. And I, I do think that uh, no, in any argument, no one likes to admit they're wrong. Anyone who's had an argument knows that. Uh, and so, as as the um, sort of child abuse element of these drag shows uh, gets exposed or the really anti-inclusion element to LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. uh, gets exposed. I think actually what I, I would expect to see is not people say, oh my gosh, this, you know, this movement has gone too far, but rather people dig their heels in mm. And 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 double down yeah. because you just don't like to admit you're wrong. So <laughs> I hear you. you Let's. Uh, we have a, before we. I want to uh, before we wrap. I want to uh, to ask you about uh, the Alec Baldwin incident. But we have a caller on board. Uh, Tom wanted to weigh in. I think on uh, on what we were talking about earlier. Tom, you're on with uh, May Mailman. All right. Thanks. Hey, uh, just real quick. So nobody knew Biden had those. They were in his garage and in his office, in his house. 
So nobody has absolutely any idea if originally there was a hundred there. And that's all that's left after Hunter got done pulling the ones out that he needed to to make sure his little Burisma thing worked out. We don't know, and nobody has mentioned this, that we have absolutely no idea how many were originally there because nobody knew he had them. Thank you, Tom. Would uh, May typically, would the archives, I mean, it seems as though in both instances they had some idea things were missing. Um, I mean, are these things cataloged somehow and therefore there's an expectation when someone looks back that, there, oops, there's something missing or not? No, I mean, this. maybe this will get more attention, but I just don't know what there is to be done about it, which is, one, when staff leaves, and I'm not just talking about at the end of a presidential administration, I'm talking about staff leave the White House all the time. You know, every week you've got a staff member leaving. There is no one who comes into your office and says, ha this is all mine now and I'm going to go look at it. You move out of your office the way you would move out of any office, which is, you know, the things that are supposed to be left, you leave, and the things that you think you should take, you take, and no one is going to shake you down. So that just is a reality, which is people will always leave with things that they're not supposed to in your office. You took the stapler, you won't supposed to take the stapler. And in the White House, sometimes documents that, uh, not even classified documents I'm talking about, just regular like notes, uh, those should be left. So, you know, you can take your own notes. So that is a problem that is gonna affect every single White House, Republican, Democrat, or otherwise. I think the real problem is that the media says, aha, Republicans are very uh, unsafe, they're corrupt, they're taking all these classified documents with them, um, and Democrats aren't, when really it is universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like I said, the, the, the it's true. Nobody knows what Joe Biden took with him. Nobody knows what he's gotten rid of. And that's why in order to work in the White House, you do have to go through a background check. But if you're president, if you're vice president, you don't. I mean, the at the end of the day, you've been elected. You're going to get that position. So for staff members, oh, maybe you didn't handle classified material correctly, but we know that you don't have any nefarious connections because you've gone through background check with talk to, to people throughout your life. With these elected officials, with President Biden, he doesn't have that same FBI checkup, I guess. And so there is actually, I think, more risk with him than when with your average staffer. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we wrap here, and I do appreciate the time with you, I'm, and I hope the baby's down for a nap and I'm not in trouble <laughs> and taking away from baby time. Um, I need to uh, I need to ask you about Alec Baldwin. Okay, so everyone knows about the case. I mean, if they haven't, they're not alive. Uh, he and the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, uh, charged with involuntary manslaughter for their alleged roles in the death of uh, the cinematographer, uh, Hutchins. Uh, from where you stand and what you know about the case, yeah, what, what's your what's your thoughts legally? I mean, you know, I I, I think a lot of people it's it's hard to separate the, how they feel about Alec Baldwin <laughs> and his politics from the case. Uh, did the prosecutors have much of a case here or not? I mean, they sort of had to charge him because this was such uh, you know such a high profile incident. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, 
And, and yes, I think responsible a responsible gun owner um, should know whether their gun is loaded or not. And even when it's unloaded, you never aim a gun at somebody and, and pull the trigger. That's just gun ownership 101. Um, so there is a lot of negligence here. That said, I think the standards of Hollywood, Hollywood has to have guns um, and they have to allow their actors to act to act to be in the moment so I I think that the Hollywood's the necessities of Hollywood are going to be a really strong defense uh, for Alec Baldwin here and, and for me I'm sort of perplexed why this is still an issue maybe other people care about Alec Baldwin more than I do um, but the number and, and of course it's very sad for the victim that said like there's a murder a day in Chicago right now so like it just seems like we give an inordinate amount of time for this issue but um, I, I think the prosecutor's going to have an uphill climb yeah. honestly what about the fact that he spoke to George Snuffleupagus and said, well, I never pulled the trigger. And the forensics said, no, that gun could not have gone off without pulling the trigger. These uh, these celebrities tend to make a mistake when they get out there and open their yapper before the trial, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, he, he probably had a pretty strong defense of every single person does this. I'm not being negligent. I was just doing the same thing I've done one million times. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that would have been, you know, much he shouldn't have said anything, but right. like that to me seems like the more the more appropriate defense. And instead, you're right. He he felt the need to lie. I mean, it's clearly a lie. And when you are lying, <laughs> then juries juries don't believe. Yeah, you, they don't so. like that. They don't like that. No. <laughs> All right, free legal advice from May Mailman. <laughs> don't make public <laughs> statements that are going to come back to get you if you're under the <laughs> under the crosshairs. May, thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate that. Look forward to talking again soon. All right, thank you. All right, there she is, May Mailman. And it's always fun to talk with May. Uh, she was in the inner workings of the White House advising Donald Trump, a legal advisor there, and had a lot to do with many of the policy decisions and certainly knows her stuff. A great organization, too, Independent Women's Forum, IWF.org. Uh, we'll come back and wrap up the show. We invite you to join us before we sign off today. And uh, by the way, you'll want to keep it here because I know uh, Bob Stockdale and, uh, and Eric Robert are going to have a great show on, uh, on the money to follow us. Lots going on, a lot of turbulence in the economy, too. So make sure that you just keep the dial locked there or the app or the Alexa, whatever. All tuned in to News Talk STL at 101.9941. Randy Tobler with you. We'll be right back. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for always listening to uh, all of the great programming here on News Talk STL. And you can stay in touch with me at Randy Tobler, MD, on uh, Twitter for sure. And of course, we have a Facebook show page as well. Gene's on the line now. Gene, Gene, the dancing machine. How you doing, Gene? Good to talk to you. Good. Likewise, Randy, how are you? Good morning, Leah, and great Chicago music. Absolutely love that. <laughs> Thank you. She knows what uh, gets us lit up, doesn't she? She knows it. That's right. Good stuff. But um, let's see. I've been listening all morning, so I have a smattering of comments. <laughs> okay, I'm uh, ready. I'm ready. Uh, talking earlier on, on this SCOTUS thing with... Um, They've been looking for, what, a year now to try to find this leaker 
they have so right. few people that are on those staffs. I mean, I understand it's like maybe a hundred people at work for the ju- each one of the justices. There's just something that smells rotten with that, and it further erodes my confidence in the system. And it seems like if they if this Supreme Court has an extremely difficult decision to make not getting into conspiracy theory or anything but if there's an election question or this it doesn't seem like they've got the backbone to really stand by it they're trying to find some way to kind of push it under the rug i just i just don't believe that they can't find that person that's just bs well, I mean, you think about it. If, if the reporting uh, is true, based on the on the, the you know the, the report that was given the other day, they didn't interview or didn't at least in sworn testimony or, or affidavits uh, talk to the spouses of the clerks. They said that the clerks were were cleared. Uh, they didn't interview under. There was informal conversations with the justices themselves. Now, I, again, I would I. Maybe I, yeah, I am biased, but for the right reason. It's not biased if it's true. I don't think I would expect any of the conservative justices to leak, but I wouldn't put anything past Sotomayor <laughs> or oh, that's uh, Brown a, Jackson. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, and they just think it's kind of deep seated. Unfortunately, protect your own. We don't want to make another mess. Yeah. Right, but, right. Yeah. And and. Um, I don't yeah, know why they didn't call in the DOJ. Why didn't they get the best interrogators and investigators from the FBI or, you know, the CIA, whatever? Get some people in there to do some serious investigation. Well, that's right. And investigators, not administrative people. And on right. the, on that right. line, uh, swinging back to the Biden documents and everything, I agree with uh, what Dan Bongino is talking about on his program earlier this week is that, yeah, the document thing is an important deal, but the real important deal is Hunter Biden is paying dad $50,000 a month to live in this house. It doesn't show up on Biden's taxes. Right away to me, that smelled like money laundering. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, come on. And and that's uh, was I guess that number was extracted, wasn't it, from an application for a loan? And, you know, that's what he said he was currently, if I understand properly, that's where that information I, came from. I believe that's correct. And the uh, value there is there is just something rotten in Denmark. Gene, there's something rotten in Denmark with the whole Biden crime syndicate. I mean, there's no other way you can put it. I mean, uh, now, uh, by the same token, I don't think anyone can say that if if Hunter Biden can use his dad's name and get a job, there's nothing illegal about that. That's right. The problem is, how does it taint Joe Biden in a leadership position when now he owes favors because of all of the people in from Ukraine to 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 uh, China and God knows where else? Uh, that that his son and and how about his brother, uh, you know, Jim and his other Frank, you know, these people benefit. And and how do you enter if you've always been a political, uh, you know, your career is politics. You really haven't held any private sector job. And we know what these public sector jobs pay. How how do you end up with the enormous wealth that not just Joe, Joe Biden, but all of them that are career politicians? How does that happen? There's something rotten in Denmark. There is, and it's like uh, going back in that 
that thought to Hillary making all those money, all that money on cattle futures. It's like, yeah, I mean, how stupid do they think we are anyway? And how hypocritical to be investing in cattle when she's killing the climate with all of the cow and their gas and everything in the yeah, that, my gosh. That's right. That brings that brings <laughs> to another topic that I'll pass on for right at the moment. But uh, yeah, no pun intended. Don't bad. pass while it, you're on the air. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. But uh, yeah, to hit it and hit, we're just kind of going shotgun style here. But to hit on the climate thing, it. We're the cleanest country in the world as far as pollution goes, et cetera, et cetera, and that's really good. They keep beefing about CO2, but what do trees and plants and all that thing breathe? They breathe CO2 that we exhale, and they exhale oxygen that we breathe. Mother Nature's got the thing all figured out. Biology 101 with Gene, and Gene, I'd remind you that if they thought this out, us meat eaters are doing them a favor, those vegetarians that like to eat artificial meat made of plants. You know, I'm thinking this is a wonderful symbiotic relationship, and I think they ought to re- just realize that. Hey, Gene, I got to run, man. Thank you very, very much for listening all morning, and uh, you get the uh, you get the listener uh, golden choice award this morning. Thank you for calling as well. Um, well, thanks. God I bless thank all of you. church. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very, very much. Hey, I want to thank all of you for being with us. And remember that uh, the ba- the pushback against woke, the quest for truth begins with you each and every day. And it is grounded in our faith, our families, and our freedom. Let's not forget it, because that's the only way we restore this country to the greatest the planet has ever seen. For Leah, I'm Randy. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Of the Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died to make men whole.